Amen. So I've been talking about the love of God and man, there's just, there's no way. It's an inexhaustible subject. You know, the songs that we've been singing today are great. That song about grace, uh, Daniel wrote that, didn't you? Oh, I thought you did. You should have. <laughs> but that is one awesome song. I like that phrase in there about there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or to make him love you less. Did you know most people don't understand that? And they think that God does love us proportional to our performance. And I've been trying to get across that God loves you because he is love, not because you are lovely. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you, period, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's hard to wrap your brain around because, like I said, there's nobody else. There's no role model for this. And if you, if you aren't in the Word and if you aren't letting the Holy Spirit teach these things to you, you'll lose that truth. It'll fade away because you'll never see it re reproduced in anybody except God. Your mate does not love you unconditionally. They should. And you should love your mate unconditionally. But the truth is we're all human and we fail in this. And people will give you what you deserve. They will treat you according to how you deserve. But man, if you could just, if nothing else, use your imagination. What would it be like if you found a person who would love you regardless of what you do? Stab them in the back. Fail. Criticize you. Talk about you. Promise they're going to do something and fail to do it. And it wouldn't affect their love for you at all. They're just going to love you independent of anything. Man, if you could find a person like that, I guarantee you, you would, you would lay your life down to be a friend back to that person. And the good news is that that's the way that God is. Man, God loves us independent of our actions. Isn't that awesome? David uh, Hinton this morning sang out of Romans chapter 8. About I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor length nor... I mean, excuse me, I'm quoting uh, uh, Ephesians 3. But uh, life nor death or angels or principalities or any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God. The last few verses of Romans 8. Man, that's powerful. Nothing can separate you. Not even death can separate you. There is nothing that the devil can throw at you that is going to affect God's love for you. And if you really believe that, if you really believe that there's no failure on your part, nothing that could happen that would ever change God's love, I guarantee you it would bring such stability and passion to your life for God. But sadly, religion hasn't represented God like that. Religion has represented God as a harsh, angry, bitter God that if you step out of line, he's ready to get you. I actually had a man come one time and he said he always pictured God as an old man with a very long beard leaning over a banister in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand just waiting to get somebody who's done something wrong. <laughs> you may have a little different picture, but it's a similar type of thing. Maybe it's a ball bat or God's Whatever, but most people do not believe that God's unconditional love. What I want to do this morning, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is what's often referred to as the love chapter. It's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, chapter 12 and chapter 14, and right in between it, he says, Yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And he begins to talk about God's kind of love. The word that's used here in the King James is the word charity. And that doesn't mean much to most of us today. When you use the word charity today, it's talking about some kind of an organization like uh, Salvation Army or Goodwill or something. And the reason that they call those charities is because this word that was translated here is agape or agapeo. And the word literally is talking about a God kind of love, a supernatural, unconditional love. The things that I've been trying to say this time, And it really is characteristic of things like Salvation Army and Goodwill because it is, is talking about a love that is demonstrated in its actions of kindness towards other people, an unconditional type of love where you demonstrate it. You know, when we use the word love in our language, we say, I love my wife, I love ice cream, and I love my dog. And we use the same word 
to express all of these different things. And hopefully you understand or there should be a difference between the way you love your wife and the way you love your dog. Amen. <laughs> the way you love ice cream. But our word for love is not very descriptive, but in the Greek, they've got four words for love. Three of them are used in the Bible. And uh, this uh, agape is talking about a God kind of love that expresses itself in actions. And so really this word charity is a very good word, but today the connotation doesn't mean much to us. But if you look up what this word is talking about, it is talking about a supernatural God kind of love that is demonstrated in unconditional acts of mercy towards other people. It's a great word. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or God's kind of love, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Again, religion emphasizes works. You've got to do this. And it's all about actions. But really, actions are just a result of inner conviction and belief. And I believe that the right way to minister it isn't to talk about the actions that people should do. You need to give some direction in that. I'm not saying that we don't ever mention it, but it shouldn't be the emphasis on go out and do this for God. But if you taught people about the love of God, then actions, results would just come as a byproduct. I could give you a hundred testimonies of this in my own personal life that before I had this experience with the Lord, I was doing the right things and I was more productive and more zealous with it than anybody that I knew. And yet there was no joy. There was no peace in it. It was forced out of me. But the moment I had this experience with the Lord and I understood God's unconditional love, my actions improved times 10, times 100. And it was just spontaneous. You know, when you preach to somebody that you need to go share your faith with another person, you've got a debt. You need to go out. And if you don't do this, this person might go to hell. See, when I was in the Baptist church, all they preached was get saved. And then once you got saved, all they preached was lead somebody else to the Lord. That was the whole thing. You get saved. And then once you're saved, you go get somebody else saved. There wasn't about victory. You couldn't be healed. You couldn't be prosperous. You couldn't have the joy of the Holy Ghost. It was just get saved and get somebody else saved. And they would put a guilt trip on you. And we would sing these songs about, will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lay down. And we would sing these songs and people would start crying and they'd have uh, people stand up and say that someday your next door neighbor that you've talked to every day and that you never told them about Jesus, you're going to be standing in the judgment. And right as they are drugged out and thrown over the precipice into hell, they're going to be going right by you and they'll say, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? And man, the altars would fill up and people would come and repent and promise that they were going to start witnessing and telling other people about Jesus. You know why that happened? Not because you loved God and not because you loved people. It was all self-love. It was all about you being embarrassed, you being shamed, and you shame people into doing the right thing. That's the wrong motivation. You know, you shouldn't ever have to sit there and condemn a person or shame them or compel them into ministering to someone else. If you aren't telling other people about Jesus and witnessing and sharing your faith, it's because you don't know how much God loves you. And if you ever understood how much God loved you, I can guarantee you instantly like that, you will be a fanatic that will witness to anything that will move. If you don't share your faith with other people, it's because you aren't that excited about it. Just like a little kid. You know, when you give your kid a bicycle at Christmas, you don't tell them, say, now go out and you tell all of your friends how awesome your dad was to give you this bicycle and you tell them how much it cost and you make them feel bad about the bicycle that they have and you let them know that you're better off. You don't have to do that to any of your kids. You give something to a kid and they love it and I guarantee you're going to have to stop them and say, now don't go out and make your friends feel bad. Don't tell everybody about this. You don't have to go out and brag. Isn't that true? You don't have to force your kids to go tell other people about what they're excited about. You have to give them wisdom to slow them down so that they won't condemn other people and make them feel bad. That's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. We ought to be saying, hey, you need to come to this soul winning course not so that we can motivate you and condemn you and make you guilty to go out and witness, 
but so that we can give you some wisdom so that you don't go out and just blast the person and tell them some wisdom. We ought to be trying to slow you down and say, hey, make sure you get your message right before you go out and start telling everybody. But in the church, primarily, we are having to force people and trying to motivate them. You know why? Because they don't really have the love of God. They're going through the motions, but it's not being motivated by love for God. It's being motivated by love for self. It's all about self. They don't want to stand before God and be embarrassed. And self-love will never, never transform your life. I mean, it's common. People have it. And you will do things out of guilt and condemnation. But I guarantee you that'll run out. And self-love, if, you're, if it's all about self-love, well, then when you get in a situation where it's not popular to be speaking about the Lord, you won't speak to Him because you are so in love with yourself. You value your uh, you know, them accepting you more than uh, you ministering to them. So that has super limitations. But God's kind of love is unselfish. And, and if you're going through the motions and doing all of these things, but you aren't being motivated by love, that's where religion comes from. You're, being, you're doing it out of bondage. You're doing it out of effort trying to please God, but you aren't doing it motivated out of love. How many people read the Bible because they've been shamed into it, condemned into it? If you don't do this, God's not going to bless you and stuff. And if you do it not motivated properly, it profits you nothing is what this says. And so much of our religious activity is profiting us nothing because it's not motivated by a genuine God kind of love. So even if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, you can do that carnally, did you know it? You can speak in tongues carnally. You can prove that over here in 1 Corinthians 13 because he rebuked them for the way that they were using the gifts in the church. They were using it to show I'm superior to you and to show off and to put down other people. You can speak in tongues carnally. The next thing it says in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, God's kind of love, I am nothing. Think about this. Your faith could be so strong that you could speak to a mountain and it would remove. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. And yet if you don't do that motivated by love, it profits you nothing. Radical statement. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You could even offer your body in sacrifice. You could die for another person. But if you did it motivated by something other than love, it profits you nothing. Some people think, well, how could you ever make a sacrifice like that, not being motivated by love? Well, I ask all the terrorists that kill themselves and offer their body. But you know why they do it? Out of hatred for the infidels and because they'll get 70 virgins in heaven. It's all self-motivated. Did you know what? You can be motivated to even lay down your life and sacrifice, but if it's not done with God's kind of love because you love God and because you love people, it profits you nothing. There's going to be a lot of our religious actions and when we stand before God that you think, well, I've done this and this and this. But God looks at the heart. He evaluates the motives. And if you're studying the word because you've got to do it, you hate it, but you're going to do it anyway. If you're praying an hour a day because this is what you've got to do to make God move in your life, but you hate it, it's not going to benefit you anything. You know, when I first got really turned on to the Lord, I heard people say that you had to pray an hour a day. I figured if an hour a day was good, I thought two hours a day would be better. So I'd pray two and three hours a day. I'd set an alarm clock. So that I could pray from 7 till 9 o'clock. And I, it got to where, I mean, I would start dreading the time. I'd be looking at my watch and thinking, oh, it's 6.30 and then 6.45. And finally, I just got honest with God one day and I said, God, I'm sorry. I hate to admit it, but I dread this time. I start dreading it like at 6.45. I know that the alarm's going to go off and I'm going to have to get in there and pray for a couple of hours. And I just told him. He said, don't worry about it. I'll start dreading it at 6.30. <laughs> and my lightning fast mind figured out that if God's not enjoying this and if I'm not enjoying it, why am I doing it? I quit doing it. Somebody says, so you quit praying. I pray all of the time. 
Right now, I'm in communion with the Lord. I'm asking God to speak through me and help me to express these things. I pray and communicate with God all the time, but I don't set an alarm clock and have to be on my knees or have my eyes closed or doing something like that. So anyway, you can get my series on a better way to pray. But even if you give your body to be burned and don't do it motivated by love, it profits you nothing. And then in verse 4, it says, Charity, God's kind of love, suffers long in His kind. What I, here's what I want to do, and primarily when people study, the, these are characteristics of God's kind of love. And this chapter is talking about how we should use this love and let it flow through us to other people. And there is a valid point to that. You could take every one of these, and man, I guarantee you, if you are having problems in your home, or even if you aren't having problems, but if you just want your home to be right and stuff, take these things and pray about it and say, is this the way I treat my mate? Is this the way I treat my kids? And I guarantee you, this would revolutionize your life if you just said, this is the way I'm going to be. And, you know, I, in a sense, I apologize for last night because I preach on spirit, soul, and body nearly every time I get up. But I can't help it because this is the key to me. And some of you might think, well, I'd be a hypocrite if I started acting like I was long-suffering and I was kind because that's just not me. The truth is that really is you. If you're born again, in your born-again spirit, you have love, joy, and peace. Galatians 5, 22. You've got this. This may not be your carnal personality. It may not be your flesh personality. But in the spirit, this is exactly the way your spirit is. So it just depends on which you consider to be the real you. Do you consider this outward man and the way that you were trained and taught? Do you think that that's the real you? Or do you think that when you got born again, that became the new you? If you want to operate in the spirit and flow in what God has made you, then this is exactly the way you are. Some of you think, well, I'm just not a mushy guy. Well, I'm not talking about you have to lose your manhood and be mushy. But you know what? You can suffer long and be kind. That is your born-again nature. And if you're saying, well, I just couldn't do that, I'd feel like a hypocrite. It's because you got the wrong identity. you got an identity crisis. You think that old you, the part that your parents raised, that's the real you. But it's the born-again you that's the real you. And you aren't being true to yourself. You're actually a hypocrite if you aren't acting this way. This is the real you. And all you got to do is start doing this. So anyway, I'm saying that you could go through and just take all of these things and this is how you should act towards other people. There is huge benefit in doing that. But what I want to do, I'm talking about that you love other people as Christ has loved you. And what I want to do is to turn this around and if this is how God's love is supposed to flow through you to other people, I want to turn this around and use these characteristics to describe how God's love is to you. Amen. There's many of us that will sit there and say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to forgive other people. I'm supposed to be kind to them. But yet you don't think that God is kind to you. Amen. So I want to, first of all, use these things to describe how Jesus loved you, how he deals with you. So here in verse 4, God's kind of love, or you could say that Jesus suffers long towards you. Did you know that's what Greg's message was about? That's what Arthur's message was about on uh, Friday about do a mulligan. We think that God gets put out with us and just, you know, he has a short fuse and he's just tired of you. I remember when I was in Vietnam, before I got the revelation of these things I was talking about, I remember just feeling like, God, how could you ever use me? And I, I remember thinking, well, I don't believe that you'll send me to hell, but I believe you've put me on a shelf and that you'll never use me. I'm just saved, saved and stuck until I go, die and go to be with the Lord. Because I, didn't, I felt like if I was God, I wouldn't use me. Amen. I wouldn't use somebody that was like me. And I just thought God was through with me. But see, God's kind of love suffers long. And it's kind. How long suffering is it? Longer than your life. You aren't going to exhaust God's mercy and grace in your lifetime. I guarantee you, there's nothing you can do about it. God loves you. God has placed callings on your life, and I don't care how much you've messed it up. You cannot stop God from loving you and wanting to use you. 
You can make it hard on yourself. You can cause a tremendous amount of grief and God will let you. God will let you ruin your life, but it doesn't change his love for you and it doesn't change his plans for you. And if you would cooperate with him, you could see those things come to pass. God suffers long towards you and he's kind. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, I love this person, but they aren't kind to him and they somehow or another separate those two. But God's kind of love is kind. You know, in the New Testament, just for time's sake, I'm not going to turn over there and read this, but in Isaiah chapter 54, it lists the benefit of what Jesus did in Isaiah 53 about becoming, he was wounded for our transgressions, he, by his stripes we're healed. And in Isaiah 54, it says, this is the covenant. I think it's around verse 9. This is the covenant that I will make with them, saith the Lord, as, like a covenant that I made with Noah. And he says, I will not be angry with them nor rebuke them. That is part of our new covenant. God has never, ever, 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 ever since you've been born again, been mad at you or rebuked you ever. And some of you might think, oh, yes, he has. No, he hasn't. Your own heart will smite you. Your own heart will condemn you. And you will sit there and think that God's the one that's making you miserable. And God took your joy away. And God's the one who's just made your marriage fall apart because you weren't seeking him. And this was God's judgment. And then religion comes along and says it was actually the mercy and the love of God that he caused your divorce because that caused you to turn to the Lord. It's actually the mercy of God that made you sick because that's when you came to the end of yourself. God did not do those things to you. God is not the one causing these problems. And yet you many times will attribute your own condemnation and your own guilt to God and think God's the one that's making you miserable. That is not so. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter, not the condemner, not the aggravator. He's called the comforter. And he's not the one who's making you miserable. Your own heart makes you miserable. When you do things wrong, your own heart knows its own bitterness is what the scripture says. And uh, anyway, I could preach a long time on that. But God is kind towards you. He has never been angry at you. Even when you've done things that are, I mean, absolutely wrong. If you've gone out and committed adultery, it grieves the Lord because he knows how this is going to hurt you and how it hurts your wife, how it hurts your family. And it grieves him, but he's not mad at you. He loves you. He's still merciful towards you. This is what the scripture is saying. If God expects me to operate in love this way, well, then I can guarantee you God operates and does at least what he expects me to do. I was ministering in a church in Omaha, Nebraska one time, and the pastor got so mad at me. He, it, was, it was violent the way that he got mad at me. And uh, he, wouldn't, he sold over 600 CDs or uh, cassette tapes at the time of my meeting. And then the people prepaid for him, and then he wouldn't give them out because he didn't want that teaching going out. And this guy would stand up and do the praise and worship and then walk right down the middle aisle and walk out of the church and wouldn't even stay for my service. He was really ticked off. And uh, we went out to eat breakfast the day after I got through at the week-long meeting and he was just railing at me and screaming at me and stuff like this. But anyway, my point is that he was singing this song that he wrote. And the song, I forgot what it was, but it was a very similar thing to what Daniel sang about that there's nothing you can do to ever turn God away. That his mercy and, and that you need to forgive people. And part of the lyrics said, I forgive you before you ask. I forgive you if you never ask. And that was part of the lyrics. And so he got through and he was stomping down the middle aisle and I said, hey, Wes, come back here. I said, did I hear this right? And I had him put the words back up. And I said, do you really believe that you are, God wants us to forgive people if they never ask us to forgive? And he was just adamant, absolutely. I said, even if they never ask, absolutely. And I said, isn't that strange that somebody would think that we're supposed to be more forgiving than God is. That we should treat people better than God treats us. I said, there are some people that think God will deal with you according to your sins and punish you. And he got mad and walked out. <laughs> I, that was a long time ago. I'm now posh. And uh, <laughs> so 
so much more mature, I would never do anything like that. But, but if God says that you're supposed to be long-suffering and kind towards people, don't you think that God would at least do what he tells you to do to other people? God is kind towards you. God's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to hurt you. God is a good God. But see, most people don't have that concept. They really think that God is just half ticked off. He's got a chip on his shoulder and you just do one thing out of line and God is going to slap you down. He's going to put you in your place. That's the way that most people picture God. This is telling us how God's love towards you is. He's long-suffering and he's kind. Charity, God's kind of love, envies not. You know, God is a humble God. This just amazes me about God. I, I, I've meditated on this a lot, but you know, Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. God is different than most of us have in picture. God is actually a meek God. He's not envious, He's not jealous. That's amazing. When Jesus came to this earth, if you and I had been God, and if we had loved fallen mankind enough to come to this earth, I guarantee you we would not have done it the way that Jesus did. We wouldn't have been born to some poor people in a stable. Man, we would have torched that inn owner and made him kick somebody else out because my son, and we would have done something and we wouldn't have announced it to some lowly shepherds. We'd have announced it to Caesar. We'd have told Herod. We'd have made it. We'd have arrived on a space shuttle or something that would have got everybody's attention. Jesus was born and there's just a few people that even knew that he was there. It's amazing how God is. He's subtle. He wants people to love him by Faith, he wants, he wants you to love him because you choose to love him. He could prove himself to every one of you. He could make you bow the knee. You know, I've often wondered about when Jesus rose from the dead, why did he appear to Mary Magdalene first? A woman who had been demon-possessed, who was an outcast. And they lived in a society where women didn't really have a voice. He, the very first person he appeared to was a woman. He never appeared to a single person that wasn't already a believer. And yet he said he had hundreds of thousands of people that saw him crucified. It was the big deal at the Passover. All he would have had to have done is just hover over Jerusalem and let everybody see him. And he could have had hundreds of thousands of people bow the knee. That's the way that we would do it. I would have appeared to Pilate. I'd have woken him up. I'd have shook his bed. And I'd have said, hey, Pilate, are your hands clean now? I'd have gone to those soldiers that blindfolded him and then spit in his face and mocked him and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have appeared to them and said, let me tell you something. And I'd have read their mail. <laughs> and sometimes we think that's the way that God is. No, it's just the opposite. He's a humble God. He doesn't operate in envy and jealousy. He is not self-promoting at all. The Lord wants you to respond because you chose to respond. He could force you to respond. He could have a dog walk up to you and tell you everything that you ever did in your life and rebuke you and tell you what to do. He could have a bird land on your shoulder and say, turn right here and go. He could manifest himself in physical, natural ways that it wouldn't take any faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is a humble God. He will let you go your entire life and just beat your head against the wall and make mistakes and he will plant things and he will subtly speak to you and he'll want you to respond, but he, he will never force you to seek him. You have to do it by faith. This is, this is the way that God's love is. He's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will never force you. The devil will force you. He will possess you. He will force you to do things against your will. He will entrap you and you can't get out but God will never close his hand and force you to do something. You know, I've got total freedom right now. I could walk away from God if I wanted to. That'd be the stupidest thing I ever did in my life. But I could walk away from God, and God would still love me. God wouldn't hate me. He wouldn't forsake me. I would miss out on the good things that God has planned for my life, but God doesn't force me. 
I have to choose. It's, the Lord hadn't hemmed me up. I have a total freedom of choice all of the time. This is the way that God's kind of love is. Man, that's awesome. That God's kind of love vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Those are all old English words. It's just talking about it is not self-seeking. It is not self-promoting. You know, I was raised in a denomination that again taught that the only way you could do anything to pay God back is to be used. Serving. Do a work for God. And I was actually at a conference one time where they were preaching that the only, the sole justification for your existence is to lead somebody else to the Lord. The only reason God left you here was so that he could use you. If he just wanted to bless you, he'd take everybody to heaven the moment you get saved. The reason you're here, the sole purpose for your existence is to lead somebody else to the Lord. And I was brought up with that. Many of you relate to what I'm talking about right here. But you know, as I was listening to that, the Lord spoke to me and he says, well, then what was the sole purpose of Adam and Eve's existence? They didn't have anybody to lead to the Lord. They didn't have any devils to cast out. They didn't have a work to do. You know, most people's Christian life is all about do something for God and do this and this. What did Adam and Eve do before there was a house to pay, pray for? They didn't have clothes to pray for. They didn't have money to pray in. What was the sole purpose for their existence? And the Lord led me over to Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 where it says, For his pleasure we are and were created. That means that the original purpose and still the purpose even after uh, sin entered into the world is we were created for a relationship. God created Adam and Eve to fellowship with him and he gets, he gets pleasure out of them. He is not just using you. Most people see God using a person like when you get a soda or something and you stick a straw in it and you suck all that's in it out. And when you hear the like that, you'd throw that away and go get another one. God will just use you up and take everything good out of you. And the moment you cease to be a blessing to him, he'll put you on the shelf and forget you and go get somebody else. That's not God at all. He's not a self-promoting God. God loves you more than he loves what you can do for him. This is a hard concept for guys to get across. I think women receive it easier. That's why more women turn to the Lord quicker and easier than men because, man, it's all about doing. We're, we're all about we got to do something, and it's all we find a lot of uh, identity in the things that we accomplish and things that we do, and so we translate this to God. And it is true that God wants to use you to touch other people. But brothers, God loves you whether you ever do anything for him or not. And even if you do things for him and if God does great things through you, he loves you. He's more concerned about you than he is about your ministry. I believe that one reason it took so long for us to begin to start seeing people respond is because God loved me. And he was more concerned about me. He didn't want to open up the doors and give me opportunity and responsibility that would have overwhelmed me. And I'm just not, you know, the most qualified person in the natural. And it just took a long time. It took 32 years. 32 years of being in the ministry. God spoke to me in uh, 1999, July the 26th. And he says, you're just now starting your ministry. And man... I was, that was a little discouraging and encouraging all at the same time. <laughs> but I believe that the reason the Lord did that is because if he would have put the things that I'm doing right now, like we've got a $45 million project on top of our $30 million a year budget, and I'm having to believe for all of these kind of things, if he would have put that on me back in the 80s, it would have killed me. It would have overwhelmed me. I couldn't have handled it. God was growing me. God is more concerned about you than he is what he can do through you. And the very reason some of you haven't seen the ministry open up and the things that you desire to do happen is because God loves you so much he's holding you back. You aren't ready. You aren't mature. You couldn't handle it. There's some of you saying it's the devil that's holding me back. It could be God holding you back because he doesn't want you to get out there and kill yourself. When you get into not only ministry, but whatever it is that God calls you to do, it's just like you have a huge target on your back. 
The devil is going to come against you. The more opportunity, the more in leadership God puts you, the stronger the attacks are going to be. And it could be that the reason God hasn't opened up the doors is because you aren't spiritually mature enough to handle it. And God loves you. He is not self-promoting. He would not sacrifice you so that he could get something done. God loves you. Man, that's awesome. See, we think this is the way we should be to other people. But we don't understand that this is the way that God is to us. Man, this is awesome. God is a good God. In verse 5, it says he does not behave himself unseemly. You know, I remember that there was a woman in one of our uh, Bible studies, and she was about 26, 27 years old or so. She was a school teacher, and one of her students, a 16-year-old boy, fell in love, quote, unquote, with her. And they were dating, and they were talking about getting married. And people were just incensed that there's this 10 years different. The boy was only like 16 years old, still a senior in high school. And, and anyway, she came and talked to me. And I said, man, I don't think this is God at all. I just told her no. But she says, can you show me in Scripture that we couldn't have? And I said, well, I can't show you a Scripture. That you can't marry a guy that's 10 years younger than you and stuff. But I said, I just don't think it's God. And anyway, we discussed it. But then we went out to eat one time. There was about 15 of us out to eat. We were in Clayton, New Mexico, eating at uh, a Mexican food place. And uh, we just all went in and not many people knew about what they were considering doing. And so when we walked in, people sat down and people sat around. Debbie was this woman's name. And um, the guy that she was supposedly in love with, uh, he didn't come in. And I finally looked over at her and I said, what's wrong? Where's this guy? She says, oh, he's out in the car. He's crying because he couldn't sit next to me. And she went out and talked to him, and he was just throwing a fit. And finally she came in and asked, would everybody move? Because he loves me so much. He just can't, he can't be without me. And man, I had something to tell her after that. I turned over to these verses, And I said, God's kind of love does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't act that way. I said, this is nothing but lust. God's kind of love is not like that. You know, right along that lines, I heard a song one time. Somebody shared it with me about, I forgot the exact lyrics, but it was something about that they were afraid to close their eyes at night because they loved the person so much they couldn't close their eyes. They just... It made me want to throw up. That is not God's kind of love. These people who are so passionate and they just can't keep their hands off of each other, that's not God's kind of love. God's kind of love does not behave itself unseemly. It can control itself. If you can't control your feelings for a person, it's not God's kind of love. A God's kind of love is a decision. And you may be passionate and you may feel a lot of things, but you can control yourself. Just like the gifts of the Spirit right here in the 14th chapter. It says the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. And in many Pentecostal realms, people will, they're just praising God and they can't help it. And they're just overcome by the Holy Spirit and they can't control themselves. They've got to speak in tongues or whatever. The Bible says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's not God. That's a religious spirit. If you can't control it, then it's not God. God doesn't force anything. God's kind of love does not behave itself in an ungodly way. It can be controlled. Man, that's a major, major point. And you know what? God controls himself towards you. God is passionate about you. But many of us are just wanting God to make us serve him. Oh, God, make me do these things. It's not the way that God is. He will will give you opportunities. He'll prepare things, but you have to cooperate with him. Boy, this is a major point. It does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Man, isn't that awesome? I'm trying to speed up. It's not easily provoked. And, of course, we say that, see, you, oughtn't, you shouldn't have a short fuse. You ought to give people the benefit of the doubt. You shouldn't have a temper. You shouldn't wear your feelings on your sleeve. And on and on, we talk about other people. Did you know what? God's like that. 
God's not easily provoked. It's really, really hard to upset God. And some of you think just the opposite, that man, God is so hard that you can do your best. And if you only give 99 out of 100, God's upset over that 1%. Most people see God as a perfectionist, that if you did the majority of things right, God is going to point out to you the things that you've done wrong. And he's just always picking away at everything wrong. God isn't like that. God's kind of love is not like that. God isn't easily provoked. God is kind towards you. You know, I remember going to meetings when I first began to really encounter the power of God and see blind eyes open and things. And I would sit at some of these meetings. And I remember being in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting and Jamie and I sat there for hours after everybody else was gone. And finally, they were closing the building down and they came and kicked us out. But Jamie and I were just sitting there like, how can people leave? Didn't they see these blind eyes open, these deaf ears open? We were on holy ground and we didn't want to leave. We were just sitting there in the presence of the Lord. And I remember being just overwhelmed and saying, thank you, Father, for the awesome things that I was seeing. And I came from a meeting one time in Nebraska. And I remember I was driving back to the hotel and I was just feeling the same way. We had seen changed lives, miracles of healing, people born again, set free. And I was just praising God. I had to pull over on the side of the road. Just thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and thanking God. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for letting me flow through you. There's some of you that wouldn't let God speak that to you because God would never be kind. God would never thank you for anything. God's kind. God's told me, thank you. God tells me when I do a good job. He says good things to me. The same way we thank these people. Did you know God's kind? If you would let him, God would say kind things to you. But, the, but most of us won't let him. Most of us, if you felt something like that, you'd think that's a devil. The angel appears to Mary and says, Hail thou that art highly favored. And she cast in her mind what kind of a salutation this should be. She was troubled and cast in her mind. If the angel would have come and said, You sorry thing, you are a stink in the nostrils of God. She'd have probably said, This is God. (laughs) That's the way we've been taught to believe that God is. But let God be kind to you. You know, when I was first getting started, I was still in the Baptist church and we had to drive 40-something miles on Sunday to go to church. So we would stay in between Sunday morning and Sunday night church. And we would stay at people's house and visit with them and go out to eat with them and stuff. And there was this one family that their daughter hated all Christians. She was very rebellious. She was in her 20s. And she hated all Christians, but she hated me above all other Christians on the face of the earth. And anytime she knew that I was going to be around, she would leave. And anyway, I was over there in between Sunday morning and Sunday night church one time, and I was really sleepy. And they said, just go up and take a nap on her bed. And she was gone, so I went into her bedroom, and I took a nap. And I was asleep in this girl's bedroom. And I was sound asleep. And I mean, the door opened, and boom, like that. I was wide awake. Instantly, which at that time was really unusual for me to wake up that quickly. I'd get into deep sleep, and I mean, it was hard to wake up. But I instantly was awake, and I heard that door open, and I heard somebody walking around the room. And I figured, oh, no, it's this girl. She must have had to come back, get something out of her closet. She doesn't want to see me. I didn't want to see her. So I just played possum. And I just laid there and acted like I was still asleep. And she walked all around the room, opened up a drawer. I heard another door open and you could hear the floor creak. And I wondered, man, what's going on? And then she walked up and stood right next to the bed. And by this time, I was afraid to open my eyes because I wasn't sure what was going on. And then I felt her sit on the bed. You could feel the bed shift. And she leaned across me with her other arm, put weight on the other side, and leaned over and kissed me right on the lips. And when that happened, man, I woke up. I opened my eyes. And there wasn't a person in that room. And I was wide awake. 
And my first thought was, was that God? And then my, I thought, God wouldn't kiss me. He'd <laughs> rebuke me. I hadn't been praying and studying. And I was, and I immediately thought, that's not God. That's the devil. What was this? And then the Lord spoke to me and he says, if I'd loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I'd love you enough to kiss you? And did you know I wouldn't share that with people for over a decade because people would just, God would never do stuff like that. Tell me what this is saying then. If this is the way God is, if this is the way his love is, don't you think he's long-suffering and kind and patient and he's not self-promoting? And If he would lay down and die for you, don't you think he'd give you a hug? And yet most people wouldn't let God love them that way. This is not the image that most people have of God. And that's the reason that we're having so much trouble with our actions is because we haven't received that love. And then all of these actions are byproducts. They are a fruit, not the root of a relationship with God. And they just, if you could understand how passionate God is about you and how much he loves you, I guarantee you it would change your actions. Notice it says that it thinks no evil. God doesn't think on the evil. God is not focused on all of your bad stuff. God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created light. And it says that he saw the light. There was darkness there, but he created light. And as soon as he created light, he looked at the light, not at the darkness. When you got born again, God looks at what he's done on the inside of you. He sees who you are in the spirit, and he's not looking at your flesh. He's aware of it. He's a, he knows what's in there, but God is focused on who you are. God sees you differently than you see yourself. He doesn't think on the evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. He does not sit there and say, I told you so. I knew that this is what was going to happen. And he doesn't sit there and rub your nose in it when you've done something wrong. He doesn't get any pleasure out of that. He rejoices in the truth. He rejoices in all of the good things that he's put on the inside of you. And notice it says in verse 7, he bears all things. God's kind of love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I've talked to so many people who said, I put up with this person all I can do. I can't, I can't bear anymore. And then I say, well, that shows what the problem is. You aren't in the spirit because in the spirit, you're born again spirit as God's kind of love and it bears all things. If you are saying, I can't stand it anymore, it's because you aren't in the spirit, you're in the flesh. And God, this is the way he is. He bears all things. There is no limit to what God can bear. He believes all things. God is always believing in you. Man, a scripture that really helped me. When we started our gospel truth seminars, the very first one we held was in Kansas City. And I was in a hotel room. Jamie was out shopping without me, Greg. <laughs> And I was in the hotel room by myself and I had walked through the foyer and they had wheelchair after wheelchair lined up and people on stretchers coming because we had advertised it, bring the sick. And I was just a little bit overwhelmed. And I was thinking, Jesus, what have I got myself into? And I was thinking, what am I doing? And the Lord spoke to me out of the scripture that says, but God counted me faithful who put me in the ministry. And the Lord was speaking to me about, Andrew, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have led you to do it if I didn't have faith in you that you'll be able to do it. And the very fact that God had faith in me encouraged me. This says he believes all things. God is believing in you. And many of you don't believe in yourself. That's because you only know yourself in the carnal. You don't know who you are in Christ. God believes in you. He turned his kingdom over to us. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to say, I'm going to be crucified. And he says, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And they said, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? They'd been with him for three and a half years. And his last instructions, you know where I'm going. Lord, we don't know where you're going. Where are you going? <laughs> you know what? A lesser person could have said, King's X, we need to extend this another three years. These guys are hopeless. Jesus believed in those guys. Jesus believed in them. He turned his entire kingdom over. 
I can just imagine as he's going into heaven, the angel says, this is it? This is your... This is your plan right there? These guys are sitting there scratching their head. And the angels are saying, these are the ones you're turning over to. He says, that's it. That's plan A. There is no plan B. I don't have any other plans. Man, God believes in us. God believes you can make it. If God believes in you, who are you not to believe in you? Why would you value your opinion greater than God's opinion? Man, he bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. God's got great hopes for your life. Many of you gave up on hope decades ago and you've basically, you know, just uh, committed yourself to being mediocre and never doing anything. But Jesus still has hopes for you. He still hopes and believes in things and he endures all things. God's kind of love never fails. It never fails. God's never going to give up on you. I tell you, I wish every person could just get a revelation of how passionately God loves us. And if you really understood this, you'd serve God better accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. It would just come out of you. You couldn't help yourself. If you knew how passionate God was, you'd lay your life down. You'd die for Him. You would witness. You'd tell other people about Him. Man, you'd go home. You could endure whatever problems are in your home. You could, you could deal with all of these things. It wouldn't matter when people come out against you because you're just so confident that God loves you. Who cares what other people think? Every time I minister, I have somebody come up and criticize something. They'll find something to criticize. I've always got something I say or do wrong. I always have somebody come criticize me. I've often told people, if you came here looking for something wrong, I got something for you. Amen. I just make mistakes all the time. And I'll have people come up and criticize me. And I've had people read the riot act to me and tell me I'm of the devil and do other things. And you know what? God didn't make any of us to like rejection. If you like rejection, something's wrong with you. That's not the way that God... He created us for fellowship. So I don't like rejection. But you know what? I've gotten to the point that it's not going to bother me. And you know why? Because God loves me. And compared to God, who are you? It's not that I don't esteem you, but compared to God, you're nothing. I had a man come up to me in Kansas City one time, just start rebuking me and saying all these things. And I stopped him right in mid-sentence and I said, who died and made you God? And he just stopped and looked at me and says, what are you saying? And I said, you know what? I don't care what you think about me. You're nobody. I said, you are less than nothing to me. Why would I give a rip about what you think? And the guy got really offended and then tried to condemn me over stuff. And I said, compared to God, you are nothing. And I answer to God and I just don't give a rip what you think. And if you're sitting there and if you're so insecure that other people and you've got to, you're codependent upon people's acceptance and they've got to treat you right or you just are sad and depressed. It's because you've got a vacuum on the inside. If you ever get into the presence of God and understand how much God loves you, it won't matter what anybody else thinks. It will not matter what a single person on this earth thinks. I know some of you think, man, that's, those are big statements. I don't think that it works out that way in reality, but it does. I've lived this way for a long time, and I've been through things that I can guarantee you without... The love of God and the things that he's done in my life, I would have caved. I would have been destroyed. I had a life before I encountered the Lord, not a real long one, praise God. But I remember how I would have been. And I can tell you that the love of God has changed my life. And brothers, I recommend this to you. This is the answer to whatever your problem is. And God loves you more than you've ever understood. And so you're going to have to minister this to yourself. The things that I've shared, this is a tip of an iceberg. And there is just so much more to it. But if you would take scriptures like this, and anytime God tells you to forgive other people, and if you don't forgive, neither will your Father forgive you, well then sit there and think that if God's demanding that of me, well then praise God, He will do at least as much. If He told me to forgive 70 times 7, 
490 times in one day, then God will at least do what he told me to do. Amen. So until you get to where you blow it more than 490 times in one day, you shouldn't even worry about whether or not God will forgive you. If you would just take these truths and instead of all putting it as a guilt trip on you about how you're supposed to treat others and say, God, if that's how you're telling me to treat others, you will at least do this. And if you would do that and start receiving revelation, this could change your life. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you that you love us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit opened up our heart and helps us to understand this. Father, I pray that there's not a single man who would leave here without the Holy Spirit having confronted them about the goodness of God and how gracious you are and how much you love us. Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts so we would let you manifest your love to us. That we would accept it and not reject it, not push you away. Thank you, Jesus. Lord just spoke to me, and I want to do this real quickly here, but there are some of you guys that have been so hurt and abused, maybe by the way you've been brought up or whatever, but it, you just will not open yourself up to love like this. The, the examples I was giving about the Lord kissing me, the Lord saying thank you to me, there were some of you that that struck a chord with you, and you would never receive that. God won't force it on you. He won't ever say it to you if it's going to offend you. But there are some of you that struggle in this area and because of whatever reason, you just got walls built up and you would never, ever let God show himself that way to you. And yet you're saying, I, I wished I could, but I can't. It's just not in me. The Lord just spoke to me that if that's you, I want you to stand right where you are and I'm going to pray for you and I believe God's going to set you free. He's going to break things that have happened in you since you were a little kid. It's going to change your life. I believe God's going to set you free. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to pray for anybody unless you're standing. Some of you are thinking, man, I need this, but what would people think about me? That's the very thing that holds you in bondage is you care about other people and what they think more than what God thinks. I'm going to pray that this won't work if you aren't standing. If you're going to receive this, you've got to stand to get it. Amen. Nobody can bootleg this prayer. Is everybody standing that's going to receive this? Now what I'd like to do is ask the rest of you that are seated to look around at somebody who's close to you. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want you to go and lay hands on them and just let this love of God flow through you supernaturally towards all of these people. If there's anybody standing to receive prayer that somebody hasn't laid hands on you, if, if when we stood up we lost you, so raise your hand right now so that we can see. We won't. Here's somebody, here's people right here in the back. Here's some over here that are standing for prayer. Nobody's laying hands on them. So keep your hand up. If nobody's laying hands on you and yet you're, you stood to receive this prayer, I want you to raise your hand so we can make sure we cover you. Praise God. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father, for your great love. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, we right now just confess all of our messed up thinking. All of the barriers, the walls, and the things that we have up that we won't let you love us. That we've not thought we were worthy. Father, we just repent of this wrong thinking right now. Father, we say that we're sorry that we've kept you at arm's length and we haven't let you love us. But Father, today, these men have humbled themselves. They've boldly stood in front of their brothers. And they're saying that we've got problems in this area. We're humbling ourselves. And your word says that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you will lift us up. So we've humbled ourselves and we believe you're lifting us up above all of this stinking thinking, all of these wrong attitudes and, attitu and doctrines that we've held. And Father, we are believing that today you are touching people with your love, that they are experiencing your love in a way that they never have. 
And that, Father, all of the harshness and all of the actions and all of the things that are built upon this wrong foundation, we believe that you are just ripping this foundation out, that everything built upon it falls. That, Father, the harshness, the bitterness, and all of these other things are gone. And that from this time forth, we receive your love for us. And now we believe that that supernatural love will flow through us to our families, to the people that we work with, to total strangers. Father, we receive your love for us and we believe that it is not only going to change us, but it'll change other people as it flows through us. We thank you for it and we lay hands on them and release this. We command demonic strongholds that have been in people's lives to be gone. And Father, we just thank you that you are revolutionizing us with your love right here. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. We receive it and thank you. Believe that you've started a work in us and you will perform it. You will not quit until we see the manifestation of it in our life. Father, we agree and receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, just begin to thank God for his love. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Man, I tell you, I believe God has done some big, big things in people's lives this week. Don't let it go. You need to get that teaching on uh, the discover the keys to staying full of God. Because what you've experienced... It's not God did something special. It's you that opened up to the way God always is. And he's going to always be the same. You need to know how to keep yourself in this place to where you're walking in the love of God. Amen. Thank you for coming. God bless y'all. Uh, is Gary Lukey here? Is there anything we need to do? There's no snacks. We're through with you. Get out of here. We love you. God bless you.